What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod. I'm Pat Sheen with my co-host who can't touch all 10 toes, but he'll still pod for these hoes. It's Dave Martison. Dave, how you doing, man? From the top, make a drop, baby. We here. What's good? <laughs> uh, not much, man. Um, we have a, a pretty packed show today. We got uh, lots of music, some of which we mentioned at the end of the last episode. We actually did not get to because it was just such a packed weekend. We have a couple of then big watching things, things we watched, Fargo, Enola Holmes, both right on our TVs. But Dave, I wanted to start by giving the people what they really want, which is your quick thoughts on the new mutants. You saw it this week. Tell me what you think. That's right. Once again, saw it by myself in the movie theater. You truly love that private screening. Um yeah, I mean, New Mutants has been in the theaters for, what, over a month at this point? It's been a while, you know. Slow trickle at the box office, as anyone who has wanted to see it has long since seen it, I think, and braved the, braved the plague to go to see it in the theater. Um, so, notable, not a disaster. It's Ooh. fine. It's not good or great, but it's not, like, offensively bad either, which I think, given the incredibly troubled development and long path to the screen that was something many had expected it's not quite like that um honestly i'm more disappointed in dark phoenix having seen both now um Hmm. just because i think dark phoenix had a lot more riding on it especially when fox was still its own entity and ultimately you know i just walking away from new mutants the last x-men entry from fox uh it just kind of sucks that Fox is no longer in the game when it comes to like superhero movies because they would take these swings, right? You have New Mutants, which is essentially like a dark, like Breakfast Club take on X Men. No costumes, you know. It, it, it's a much smaller scale thing. They made Deadpool. They made Logan. They would try things again to varying degrees of success, as New Mutants suggests. But at least they attempted something out there, right? Mm-hmm. Under Marvel, whatever version of the X Men we get down the line that's going to be like this. So it's really up to DC to be weird, weird with it. Right. And we'll see what happens with WandaVision. Again, we have our reservations about how weird the MCU truly will get, but yeah, at new mutants, um, it, it was all right. Um, it's, it's kind of funny, like listening to like Josh Boone talk about finally finishing the movie and all the stories and stuff. And the meta nature of the film was really way more interesting than the movie itself. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's not a movie I would go see in theaters. Not a movie I would brave the elements to see at this point. I'll probably check it out when it gets to streaming, which I'm hoping is, is soon, since especially it's been, like said, in development for mm-hmm. so long. I imagine they want to just get eyes on it as soon as they can. Maybe I'll, I'll even uh, pay like three bucks for video on demand. Who knows? But I'm, I'm not super jazzed about it. And <laughs> I, I'm actually, I think, more interested to see where just the X-Men go in general. You know, like recasting, um, figuring out what the next steps are going to be for them, how they play into that Marvel universe moving forward. So we'll see. Very interesting stuff. And uh, for more of Dave's thoughts, you can follow his Twitter at Martin Swagger uh, or hit that subscribe button because uh, Dave reviews a lot of movies and television right here on Nostalgia Pod. But he also reviews music, folks. (laughs) And as you can see behind him is Joji looking... (laughs) The most, uh, the most dad-like I've ever seen, the man. Um, Joji's actually, it's kind of funny because 
Um, and just in thinking about looking at that picture you, you have up and then the picture on Ballads 1 and then the picture on Nectar, uh, a man whose face seems to always be shifting and changing and kind of like his music. And I feel like that's really what has made him such an attractive artist in a lot of ways is that Joji makes songs in a very unique way, um, hmm. different from most people. His production and his like, song structure choices are very um, idiosyncratic a lot of time, but they work. And it, it, I think this album was probably one of our most anticipated uh, because of that. Uh, Ballads 1, I would say, is a certified uh, hit for him. Uh, you know, songs like um, uh, Slow Dancing in the Dark, oh, yeah. yeah, Right. Um, just song after song we were really impressed by. Then he drops Run, which is probably a top 10 song for me this year. Uh, and Perfect. They, they really, the expectations cannot be higher going into this album. Were you pleased with the output of Nectar? Yeah, I was pleased. I don't know if this sets like this new super high bar for Joji. As someone who took a non-traditional path to becoming a full-time musical artist, as you might expect, his music is still hard to pin down, hard to put in a box, as you were suggesting. Uh, Nectar's kind of like that, too. He kind of jumps around with a lot of different stuff, right? You have Run, right, which is just a ballad, probably similar to Slow Dancing in the Dark, I guess. Uh, you have the song with Diplo. You have Gimme Love, a TikTok song that's just uh, earworm potential. You have Your Man, the last song, which is very, very dancey, right? A lot of different stuff on here. But I think, you know, through two albums and an EP, when Joji hits, he hits really well. And there's just some kind of aspect to his charisma that not a lot of other people can, can match for whatever reason. So I always just find him a really appealing artist because I don't know what to expect, but I know that usually I'll like it for some reason, right? And that's what Nectar did. So I, I was still quite pleased with this. And I think, there's some moments that hit really big. I thought Modus track two, my God, that song rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Modus is one of the standouts for me as well. And, and I agree. I think this album in general is a solid album, but I think for my own expectations going in, um, especially with a song like Run, that was right. really like, like you said, a perfect song in a lot of ways. Um, I didn't, I don't think I got the highs throughout this as I did it on Run. Modus is maybe the exception. Um, a couple other songs that stood out to me were Sanctuary, which I think is mm -hmm. a, a great ballad. Uh, yeah. Mr. Hollywood. Last year as well. Mr. Hollywood. Um, and then, uh, the, what was the other one I liked? Oh, Your Man at the, at the end, the dancey mm -hmm. song that you mentioned. Um, I, I, there was a lot of stuff in between, though, that I didn't really find, you know, very memorable, I think, was where I was kind of left with. And I, I think in terms of like an entire conceptualized album it's maybe not my favorite piece of work but i think the highs on it still are are worth exploring and, and make joji such an appealing artist what what song stood out to you other than modus yeah modus your man i also really like tiktok i think right after modus track mm. three i think that's a more hip-hop inspired song a rich brian feature would have fit right in on that that would mm. sound cool um i also liked a uh, little yachty on pretty boy as we've said recently mm. less is more with yachty he's pretty good with the guest spots and I, him and Joji together on that song actually made sense the way yeah. both his performances I like that um, 
yeah, I mean, I agree. You know, it's it's more about moments and when you release run as like your second single, but your first like real lead up single to an album, you're, you're, you're setting a high bar for yourself. Right. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I think the the best is still yet to come for him, but even if this is all we're getting left with in the meantime, I'm still pretty satisfied. He's a really interesting artist and 88 rising man. We had quite the heater in the past six weeks between the rich Brian EP and the Nikki album. Yeah. I, I definitely, um, I'm still excited to see the things Joji will do. And I think this album, if anything else, just shows that he's incredibly ambitious still. He's going to keep pushing the boundaries. And I think, like you said, whatever is ahead of him in the future is probably going to be even better. So uh, looking forward to hearing more from Joji in the future. But for now, we'll enjoy Nectar. And a couple of songs will be on our Nostalgia Best of 2020 playlist. But Dave, I want to give you the floor here a little bit because uh, I put on this MGK album tickets to my downfall uh fourth this is what his fourth album fifth album uh i think it's his fifth at this point he had four before this and you know mgk the last time we saw him was in the uh motley crew movie <laughs> and uh I, I did not watch that movie but by all accounts mm. it was very bad and yes. uh it's but it seems like such a perfect fit for mgk kind of this you know, grimy guy who's like known for like hooking up with very attractive women who oh. seem like they'd be out of his league usually. But I mean, Tweet he's got, that, he's this got that lanky, uh, that lanky appeal similar to you, Dave. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> uh, MGK putting out Wilt Chamberlain numbers, quote tweeting a picture, pictures of him with Summer Rae, Chantel Jeffries and Megan Fox. Truly <laughs> one of the best things I've seen all year. And it's yeah, it's kind of funny, right? Like uh, MGK, this guy who's from the gutter, from from nothing, in the streets of Cleveland, uh, made it and has gone full LA, you know. And yeah. you know, you, you actually saw him short. We have seen him since uh, that Molly Crew movie. He was in Big Time Adolescence with his buddy Pete Davidson. Oh, you're right. You're as right. his friend. Wow. Um, and Pete Davidson's on this album. You know, comes That's in right. for a little uh, guest spot when MGK is coming down off mushrooms, which is actually a pretty funny was, part of this. Whole it was thing. just genuine. You could tell it was real. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, Dave, I didn't hate this album. I actually just felt like it was uh, Blink-182 karaoke in a lot of senses. And yeah, for sure. It, in a lot of ways, that's inoffensive and enjoyable to listen to. The lyrics are pretty bad, but the sound, not bad, especially when you have Travis Barker on the drums. This is punk pop stupidity. So, sure, I'll go with it. It's a decent listen, but you had some thoughts the other day. I want to hear you kind of <laughs> just like go off on this album right now. Yeah, I think I think that point is right. It is intentionally inoffensive. Um, and it's actually in track to be his biggest album uh, first week ever, which I think is quite notable because he never truly made major commercial inroads as a rapper. Part of that, I think, is was due to his own doings. He never made a great album. I think the closest he ever got for me was his Breaking News mixtape, which is not on streaming. But he always had good technical ability, and there were always moments with that. Think of how he busts on the scene with like Wild Boy, for example. But more recently, Rap Devil, his diss song of Eminem. A great song, a really good song. And it was on an EP that sold 20,000 the first week. It just didn't seem to catapult him. And that was disappointing to me, because I really liked that song. I really liked what he did on that. Um, 
But now, if you, if you if you've been an MGK fan, whether you're attracted to his his uh, cut jaw or you you're, you've been into the music for so now, whatever the reason, you probably noticed that Machine Gun Kelly has been making changes to his sound, right? And you think of like a big hit from a few years back, Camila Cabello, uh, "Bad Things," right? That is pretty much a light pop song. Really, no hip hop in that. Um, loose single why are you here he had that song um with young blood was i think i'm okay like there's been these moments you're like okay wow mgk is not making hip-hop but he's finding success in doing that last year that song with trippy red candy right really melodic um again more pop pop angled stuff you could see this coming and now he's finally embracing this new album tickets to my downfall as being his pop punk album and (laughs) For me, it's it is kind of it's kind of disappointing to see for me because he was someone who had like real like street cred in hip hop and had like widespread respect in the scene, but because he never found commercial success, he felt this need to rebrand his sound and appeal to uh, appeal to the white girls. So <laughs> then again, he did not find a lot of hip hop success, so I don't blame him for this this shift and. For everything he said, this is also stuff he likes, you know, so I'm not going to hate on him for that or anything. But for me, it just, it did, it was just hard for me not to see the like blatant like brand realignment that was this album. But as you said, it's pretty inoffensive. And I think there are some moments on this. And he, <laughs> like, like My Ex's Best Friend, the single with Black Bear, that is a catchy pop song, man. That was really yeah. catchy, and yeah, the lyric the lyrics are pretty bad on this the whole time. But when you're trying to make inoffensive pop, inoffensive pop punk, pop punk in particular, something that's basically non-existent in mainstream pop music, the bar is inherently low. And mm-hmm. MGK is on a high in terms of his celebrity and people paying attention to him. So I guess it makes sense. So yeah, I mean, it, I, I think it, it really just depends how you're coming at this, right? No, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I saw a, a fairly mixed reaction on Twitter uh, last week, right? When, when this dropped, I saw some people saying this is a great move for MGK, that they really enjoyed this. Some people saying, oh, man, MGK just, you know, taking another hit, kind of selling out a bit. I, I found this to be, like, a fun listen. It really is. Like I said, it, it just, like, was – I was unable to listen to this and not think, like, this is Travis Barker being like, this is how we made Blink-182 sound like this. And now you mm-hmm. just kind of put your vocals on it. And he's got a good voice for, for punk rock. You know, like I, I feel like he's got that like deep kind of guttural um, like vocals that sure. just make that punk sound kind of pop. Um, I also really liked Forget Me Too with Halsey. Hmm. And Halsey came in. At first I thought it might've been Hallie Williams. Like she comes in sounding sure. so like, I don't know, like punkish. Like I also did not expect to hear Halsey on this record. I guess raspy voice, exactly. Um, and then, man, uh, I, I thought Halsey was great on that that song. Um, Bloody Valentine, I thought was okay. Like mm. uh, it was a fine, inoffensive song. Just kind of was like, eh. Like the whole time, I was like, whatever. Like good on MGK for trying something, but uh, I don't know if this is it. <laughs> right <laughs> yeah per- personally for me i think bloody valentine's probably the, one of the weaker moments on this I, think, I don't think that song works that well um <laughs> but i was actually pretty disappointed in, in nothing inside featuring ian dior because 
uh, MGK was featured on Ian's project back in May or June, Sick and Tired. And again, that, that's another one where like, oh, wow, MGK actually has this ability to ride like that wavy uh, m- melody laden rap that's really big right now, right? And Ian Dior is one of the biggest faces in that, obviously. His song Mood with 24K Gold is a huge, huge top 10 hit right now. But nothing inside didn't didn't come close to those moments. I wanted more from that one, given what I was expecting going in. Similarly, all I know, a trippy, not as good as Candy from last year. Um, but I mean, yeah, I guess I'm happy for the guy because this is gonna give him some more success. He did mention that he was considering leaving music if this didn't become a big hit for him, which was weird to me, right? Because like he's been signed to Bad Boy Records this whole time. He's been signed to Diddy, yet nothing really stuck right except for the camilla song and it was, that was always kind of weird weird to me and i was always wondering like maybe if he just became an independent artist where again the bar is lowered for success you know you don't need to be as sell as much to make lots of money i kind of thought that would be the route but no he i think he he definitely found something he found 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 a new lane and as much as i hate anyone collaborating with black bear i think that song is really good so <laughs> Uh, yeah, like I said, it's his, it's gonna be his biggest album to date. You can't hate on that. Can't hate on it at all. Um, good good for MGK getting that 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 money or that at least that those streams. Um, well, we move on though, Dave, to something that I think is much better than this, which is the Spillage Village album, Spillagin. <laughs> um, yeah, so Spillage Village, uh, Atlanta uh, hip hop group. Um, collective, I guess we'll call it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of led by Earth Gang. Uh, we have a lot of JID on this. We have um, what Black is on this, right? Six Lack. Yep. Um, yep. For the very same. And, uh, you know, a couple of other people popping in. Benji, I think, uh, has a moment here. Chance jumps on this this record. Um, you know, I didn't. I haven't listened to the first couple of projects from Spillage Village, and um, in kind of like just kind of seeing what the general consensus was around this album online, I saw a lot of mixed reviews on review sites about this because this seems to be a bit of a shift from what people expected from Spillage Village. You know, when you have JID and Earth Gang, you kind of expect these this bombastic sound where it's these crazy beats and they're just kind of going off on them this is a lot more like an Earl record in a way like where you're getting like jazzy uh, funk influence sound. I mean, I guess Earl's a little bit more chopped and screwed than this, but it really is such a downtoned sound that Mm -hmm. I think people weren't expecting this. How are you feeling though, after listening to uh, Spillagen? Yeah. I also had a mixed reception to it. And I think that's because of the baggage I'm going in when I, what I expect from, JID and Earth Gang, right? And Spillagen, the genesis of this album is interesting to read about. There's a lovely feature on Rolling Stone about how this came to be. And, you know, that Spillage Village collective, which has grown a little bit, but JID and Earth Gang are, you know, founding members of this for the most part. Um, you know, that, that started before any of these guys were big. They were, they were more or less just kind of scrapping in, in Atlanta, right? And now they're returning to this as artists signed the Dreamville Interscope, right? And you can look, it's actually credited as a Dreamville release now. Um, and JID had rented a house in Atlanta to work on his third album. 
and then once COVID happened, it kind of the plans kind of shifted, and this then became a uh, Spillage Village uh, recording extended recording session, similar to those uh, famous, uh, heavily documented sessions that Dreamville did for the Revenge of the Dreamers three uh, label album last summer. And by all accounts, they most just about everyone in the group, um, except for Black, who was stuck in L.A., were like kind of like locked down in this house during the thick of quarantine, and they were together for for a few months and not even working every day, but really just kind of in the zone and being around each other. And um, it seems like a lot of the Dreamville people kind of like to work in this way. That's cool to hear and cool to read about. It probably play lots of Monopoly, and some of them are very competitive. <laughs> so it's, there's some cool cool stories in that uh in that feature, but. It also seems like this album was shaped by the current moment we're in, right? Both not only the, the pandemic, but also everything that happened with George Floyd. And you can kind of hear that in the music. And I was not expecting such chorus-laden, R&B-laden music. Like, I know Black is part of this, but he's not a big part of this album, right? But, like, for some, to me, it just seemed like J.I.D. kind of faded in and out. He's always good. He's such a good rapper, but them and even Earth Gang, like, I, I, I was just not as in and like, or I guess I just wasn't like expecting or looking to hear like Mariba sing all the time, right? And like, and, and Jerf and Brian seems like a pretty good rapper. I'm not really familiar with him, but it, yeah, I, I, it's tough for me to put a finger on it. But like, it was, for me, it was more about the moments and uh, then like the whole thing which is interesting because it's, it's 12 tracks, 50 minutes. They're all pretty long songs. A lot of people involved in each song, but I mean, like there's, there's some moments I really liked, but at times I was just kind of like, ah, this is not hitting the way I want it, but it's still kind of an interesting creation. And um, I think definitely warrants multiple uh, listens. Yeah. This is a album I am excited to listen back to. And I think my um, lack of expectation going in actually served me really well because I kind of came away from this album feeling like this was a really great cohesive piece of art. Um, I thought Definitely. the sound was uh, really consistent throughout while also kind of shifting between funk and soul and jazz um, and people kind of popping in and out of the album um, and delivering some great moments, but also all of it sounding like a whole, which is, is I think it's particularly difficult to do when you bring in like, Chance the Rapper with Ari Lennox on a song that's a little bit more like uh, it's a little choppier than a lot of the other songs on it and I felt like that if, if that feature can work you know uh, I guess only someone like J. Cole like dropping in like uh, obviously this being a Dreamville thing you might expect that to happen but I'm actually glad he wasn't because I think having these uh, artists outside of J.I.D. and Earth Gang and, and Black that are you know kind of more up and coming maybe not as well known right. served it really well to make it feel like it was more of like a, a vision than like just a, a show, a showcase in a sense. Um, give me some of those moments that worked really well for you though. It seems like you had a few. Yeah. I thought end of days was a, was a highlight that has a music video that uh, the chorus is quite triumphant. It seems to be like just about everyone on the song singing it together. I like that one. And then uh, baptize. That was probably the best moment of JID and earth gang doing what they do. Yeah. Um, and delivering on what you expect from them. I think Johnny Venus in particular was really awesome with his flow in that first verse and the chorus, you know, that nasally sound you expect from him. So those are probably my two favorite ones, but there's also other moments too, like 
I thought Mecha was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, again, similar. Yeah, just JD and Earth Gang. You have that chance verse on Judas. Getting a lot of love online. Um, I saw that love before I listened to it. I didn't expect it to be a more understated chance verse. I was like, oh, they're like chance to spin. I was like, oh, what is this reboot? Is this like is this like just banger chance? It's not banger chance. It's a little different. That's okay though. Um then, you know, I don't know, like towards the end, like uh Hoppy or Jupiter. More cerebral music. Like as you said, it's quite cohesive. It sounds like they were hunkered down in, yeah. in the same house for months. It makes sense that it sounds this way. For sure. Um, yeah, I agree. Mecca was a standout for me. I really loved the the drums and like the subtle bass line in that. Just kind of like plodding along every once in a while. I really liked Happy. Um, I thought Benji sounded really, really good um, singing on that. Um, and it, just his verse overall, um, I thought flowed so well with the song. Um, it, you know, kind of had this, the cute, these like light keys and a chorus almost sounded like a something you might hear in like a, a church or something along those lines. So I thought that was pretty cool. I also liked, I don't know if I'm going to say this right. Yeah. Allah, which, uh, and then parentheses family. Um, I just thought that was like a really, really well-structured and put together song. And, you know, overall I just walked away from this feeling like, I don't know who exactly was like the head of it. It seems like earth gang seems to be like the, the visionaries in this were like the ones mm-hmm. at least kind of like driving the, the artistic vision um, to bring it together. And I thought it was a total success because um, to have this many people collaborating and jumping in and out and to sure. make it still sound as good is really impressive. So um, definitely get an album I want to listen back to again, we'll throw a couple on our nostalgia best of 2020. Any last thoughts before we move on? Though, Dave? Yeah. You know, even though it has similar origins, definitely sounds different than that Dreamville album, right? That Dreamville album had a lot of good moments, but ultimately felt like what it was, which is a collection of songs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's tough to have a vision for that kind of stuff when there's that many people involved and the totality of it's kind of the point. This obviously is much more pointed, specific, you know, piece of artistic intent. So that's really cool. And Absolutely. Unexpected release. I don't think really anyone knew this was really coming for a while. So that's cool. Always cool. Good stuff. Um, also delivering some good stuff, I think. Action Bronson, who we, we've covered a couple times on here. I think the last time was what, White Bronco. Yeah, two years year? back. Two years ago, yeah. Which was, uh, you know, I, I think we, we were like, this is solid Action Bronson, but not doing anything too new. Um, how did you feel about Only for Dolphins? De- this definitely feels uh, a bit more expansive than most Bronson albums, I think. Yeah, on one hand, it also feels quite familiar. This is action, doing a lot of his action things, right? You know you know that action Bronson rapping style. You know his flow. He's not really changing that up on this. Right. He'll go on these random non-sequiturs about obscure references and make, you know, out there punchlines, and that's what he does, and he's always good at it. It doesn't always make sense, doesn't always have to make sense. (laughs) That's what he does. He's funny. Um, And I think... Only for Dolphins, for me, though, stands out from White Brock and also his project Lamb Over Rice last year that we didn't talk about, where he did, he seems really focused on this. And I think the, he did a lot more press for this album. You know, he, he's lost a lot of weight. He seems to be really in a good headspace. And not, not he's reinventing the wheel, but like the production's really choice. And his production's usually good, but it seems really specific and, uh, inten- and intentional this time around. And yeah, the, the raps are 
always really tight on this. Again, it's another half hour project from him, but um, he seems like he's in a good spot. This is a, this came out of Loma Vista uh, recordings, which is a indie label with major distribution. So it seems like he's found a home post being signed to Atlantic. Never really made sense as an Atlantic signing, I think, but yeah, I mean, I wasn't wowed by anything that much, but I also liked most of it, which is how I felt about him for a while now. Yeah, you know, I, I would agree that I think nothing in here super blew me away, but I really did like how this sounded more like an eclectic type album, you know, like a song like Latin Grammys certainly has. That was good. Ha, yeah, that's probably the best song to me. And it has a little bit more of that, like Latin flares you might expect by the title. But then, you know, a song like Vega, um, yes, it, that I mean, that, that sounds like a Greek song, you know, like, and it, <laughs> I think intentionally so. And uh, I just felt like kind of as he jumped around, he, like you said, he was a little bit more focused on wanting to um, bring in these different sounds, but it, it also flowed together pretty well. Nothing felt like super out of place. And I, I just find his delivery, his style, like a breath of fresh air a lot of the time, you know, especially as we're listening to so many different artists um, and up and coming young artists who take it so seriously because this is, you know, their opportunity to break into the business. They want to be these awesome artists who get these big deals and action is just so much himself, which is like this like goofy, ridiculous guy. You know, he talked about going to the, um, the Irishman pre, uh, preview oh, right. or premiere yes. and uh i thought that was a pretty funny moment i mean i i started off the podcast talking about the uh the chorus what was that to uh golden eye or something like that c12 maybe i can't remember which one but where he's like i can't touch all these 10 toes but i can still fuck these hoes like yep just ridiculous Classic stuff line. but you love to see it um i don't know i i another song that stood out to me was shredder had this like noir feel to it, almost like a James Bond type song. And I was like, what other artist is kind of like jumping around like this and delivering these sorts of bars and, and this style. It's just, I, I love that about him is that he just feels so authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I guess there's not too much to say. Cause like you said, it's, it's still action, but um, I, I, th- I just really enjoyed this album. We'll, I think we'll probably throw one or two songs onto the yeah. list. The start of Vega, I really enjoyed Crash my shits and my cells straight through the window. The lead actor in my life story, Delroy Lindo. <laughs> Topical <laughs> reference. Love that. That was a great line. Um, check out Only for Dolphins. He also, you know, put a few dolphin calls in there. Dave, you yes. want to give us your, your best dolphin call real quick? No, thanks. Okay. Yeah, but I was thinking, I was like, oh, is that the deep from uh, <laughs> the boys right now? I was like, I'm not hearing dolphin noises. That's funny. Yeah, that's funny. Um, all right, Dave, we got to do it. We, uh, we, we spared the folks this week because we had lined up Sufjin and Sylvan Esso and Fleet Foxes potentially. It was just going to be a whole half hour of Sad Boy review. Um, we, we cut it down because no that. yeah, we, we don't want too many people crying while they listen to the podcast. It's not a good way to, to get the word out there about us. Um, so instead, we're going to just talk about Fleet Foxes releasing their fourth album, Shore. Um, this Surprise drop. Yeah, surprise drop. Um, dropped on the autumnal equinox, which is mm-hmm. uh, so very Robin Peckinhole. I, I can't even like describe how on brand that is. Um, follow up to 2017's Crack Up, which received a lot of great reviews. 
you know, Dave, uh, I listen, I really listened to, I've only listened to a couple fleet boxes before recently and that I, I went through all the albums in order to, to make sure I was going into this with a clear head. Um, I, I started, uh, smoking hand rolled cigarettes. I started taking walks through the woods aimlessly. Big American um, spirits guy right here. Yeah. Started wearing overalls. There was a lot, a lot of, uh, changes in my life listening to these albums. Uh, Man, Shore and Fleet Foxes in general, I really appreciate them for exactly what we just talked about with Spillage Village. When they make an album, it's incredibly cohesive. I think it flows together so well. And I almost struggle to pick apart, uh, to pick certain songs from the albums because I usually just feel like they kind of flow together as a whole. I thought that continued on shore. This felt like a lot more optimistic of an album compared to crack up, especially Um, a lot warmer than most fleet foxes are. But the thing is it's, it's really deep folk. Like this is folk rock to the extreme. And if you like, like I know you aren't Dave, a fan of folk rock or into that real indie scene, it's going to be tough to get through. How did you feel listening to it though? I I didn't dislike it. I thought it was fine. (laughs) Um, and that, th- that that's because it ultimately just reminded me of elevator music. Wow, <laughs> like really? I, I could totally hear. Yeah, because to me, this actually sounded really samey. It's like I had a hard time really like locking in on a song because they all reminded me of the same vibe mm-hmm. for the most part. And, and there's some exceptions, but yeah, it's kind of that like light, inoffensive folk music. And even if it has some, you know more pointed lyrics the instrumentation is is in such a way that it's kind of just easy going mm-hmm. i guess you could say so yeah i i didn't really mind it but i'm i also don't have a lot of exposure to fleet fox i really just knew about them as the band that used to have father john misty in them <laughs> yeah and uh i i think if you're a casual you know listener or, or uh, not really into that scene that makes sense because Father John Misty's probably gotten a lot more commercial attention than Fleet Foxes. The thing is, like every album that they've made, I, I think is structurally, uh, sonically, lyric lyric wise, excellent. Um, and that that continues on shore. I think this is really quality song writing and, and craftsmanship. But I agree with you. I think a lot of the songs do just kind of run together i think it can sound very samey at a lot of points but i did find myself really enjoying uh, again like the the more warm sound on this you know you do have a couple of of songs that are a little bit sadder a little bit colder songs like the the title track shore um songs like uh for uh i can't read my own handwriting here that's not good for a week, oh, or, for two. A week or two yes um but then you have songs like Sunblind, which I, I think is really good. Can I believe you? Um, had that almost like sun-drenched folk sound to it. Um, you know, uh, waiting in waist-high water, uh, which I believe is the intro track. Yeah. Um, sounds very triumphant. Starts out cold and kind of comes through it triumphantly. Um, there was a couple songs where like horns kind of came in and made this sound very. Uh, I don't know, just like a little bit more upbeat. And I really appreciate that because I think one of the knocks for me with Fleet Foxes is they're usually talking about depression, anxieties about 
the world and it can sound a bit heavy. So having a little bit lighter of a tone on this was, was welcome. Any, uh, any songs stand out to you? Anything that you actually liked? I liked Young Man's Game and Quiet Air slash Gioia. Those ones made my ears perk a little bit. But yeah, I, I didn't, didn't really dislike anything. I just didn't lock in too much either. Yeah. But easy to listen to. Fair enough. Um, Fleet Foxes, uh, a band that I think um, well well regarded, but not well uh, listened to. So if you haven't checked them out, give them a listen to see what you think and drop us a, a comment below. Um, but let's jump into some, some things we watched this week, Dave. Let's start with some TV. We're going to talk about Fargo season four, Noah Hawley, back dog, FX, and FX on Hulu dropping two episodes Sunday night, the 27th. Um, I mean, this is a, a pretty stacked cast. You know, you have Chris Rock, Jesse Buckley, who we just saw, and I'm thinking of ending things in Chernobyl, um, Jason Schwartzman. Um, who else in this? Ben Wishaw. Jack Houston, Timothy Oliphant, yep. Legion alums, Jeremy Harris, and Amber Midthunder. Good cast, like most of uh, Wasn't Danny Glover work for FX. Too? Isn't he Dr. Senator? Who's that? Is that not Danny Glover who plays Dr. Senator? It is not him, although he probably would have been excellent in that role. <laughs> that, that guy looked just like him to me. I guess I was... That is Glenn uh, Terman. He was awesome. I thought he was great in the second episode. But, not a doctor um, or senator, but I have to do a PhD <laughs> in economics, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, so season four dropped last night. Dave, how how you feel about these two episodes? Are you still are you back on board with Fargo? Yeah, I mean, I was never uh, not on board. You know, it's just we've had what three and a half years now since Fargo season three, nearly that. And Fargo season three was notable not because it was bad; it was still good. It just wasn't anywhere really near as good as Fargo season two, which was one of the best seasons of TV of the last decade. Yep. So in- inevitably it's a tough come down, but uh, I-, I still liked it, but you could start to see perhaps the, the formula to Fargo a little bit, right? You have mm-hmm. shady characters, uh, unclear motivations on all sides, juxtaposed with the uh, banality and simplicity of life in the Midwest. Right, yeah. it's kind of a similar structure and setup in Fargo, right? And season one, and especially season two, really, really nail that, you know, in awesome ways. And have, uh, and Fargo in general, the whole enterprise was a kind of genius way to make some make an IP out of something that no one expected. And Noah Hawley's pitch for Fargo is kind of famous for let get getting him the ability to actually make the show, right? And he, he having him come back for season four, and not only that, but have to go through a lot to get the season ready. This was supposed to come out in April, but due to COVID, they had to delay because those last two episodes were not shot. You know, obviously there was no shooting for some, su- such time, so they missed the Emmy cutoff as a result. Um, you know, other, other, everyone's plans are delayed and pushed back. We all know know the story at this point, but it's it's finally here, right? FX on Hulu. Noah Hawley, back Chris Rock. Most notable dramatic role from him and who the fuck knows how long. Like, And he's, he said in the press leading up to this that he's been waiting for that role to jump out to him. 
So I was not like wowed by rock in the first episodes, but he's still kind of convincing. And then, uh, you know, I think well, well chosen as Roy Cannon are one of our shady characters as we expect from Fargo. So yeah, I'm in. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm definitely into, I think what I was most struck by was the first episode. Right. And I think both episodes have great moments, but I really liked like the table setting in that first episode, yeah, how they show 20 minutes. Yeah. That opening 20 minutes of, uh, you know, the, the Jewish family that, or Jewish mob family that had control of Kansas city and then how the Irish came in and yep. how they made deals and they swapped sons and then Italians. they double crossed. Yep. Then the Italians came in same thing. And then I, I think it actually a moment that sets the tone for rock's character is when, uh, you know, they usually spit in the hand, do the handshake and he's so like, nah, we do this like many cuts the hand and he puts it out. And I was like, Ooh, okay. This you're not seeing this character as like a badass yet, but you're kind of seeing like he, he doesn't fuck around, which I thought was a really cool moment. I think that moment has amazing meme potential too. Oh yeah. You know, I think as men, we should do this like men. It reminds <laughs> me of when friends of ours try and raise the buy-ins in our fantasy league. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <But yeah>. Shots. <laughs> Uh, I thought that that was really notable. The like you said, the table setting, a, a long overstayed, uh, understated, you know, because it takes so long, twenty five minute almost prologue before you get the title drop, title card drop, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely intentional. And <laughs> of course, once you get that title card, it says this is a true story for the sake of all of those involved, and the names have been changed. That obvious uh, Fargo wink. You love that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really liked in uh, episode one where uh, you have that scene where Rock and uh, Senator are trying to get their credit card enterprise mm-hmm. going because they need buying from the whites to make it mass scale, right? And at the end, the, the guy, the banker, they're talking to is like, that's just not what banking's about on the topic yeah, of swindling and taking advantage of people's misfortune. It's like, wow, that is pointed and obvious, but you still kind of love to hear it. Um, I've seen some mixed reception to a lot of the kind of uh, heavy-handed comments and, and, and worldview being discussed in the first episode, namely like what makes an American and who decides that and stuff, right? And like, in a sense, it's coming at a timely uh, moment to have that kind of thing be proposed. But I, I think the dialogue, at least in the beginning, was a little a little pointed. So we'll, I'll, I'm curious to see exactly how far that kind of stuff goes. Because the way they were setting up, right, at the time, right, Italians were just as uh, disregarded as other minorities, right? And mm-hmm. that's kind of the, the premise we're, get, we're getting here. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, I don't need Fargo to kind of have loftier ambitions. I don't care if Fargo sticks to what it does because what it does is, to this point, good, but more importantly, it's always really watchable and compelling. So, you know. I, I don't need Fargo season four to truly be anything that new to still be into it. Yeah. Uh, I definitely agree. I, I mean, Fargo and Noah Hawley have my uh, season pass, so to speak, whenever it's on, I'm going to watch it just cause after you make a season like season two um, and season three and season one, both being good episodes or good uh, ser- series of TV seasons of TV. Um, even if three was a little bit less than one, um, 
you just know that there's going to be at least moments, if not a cohesive uh, product that's fantastic. And you you see the t- all the table setting in these. Um, I'm really interested in Jesse Buckley's character and the role oh, yeah. she's going to play because she's homicidal just sewing. Nurse. Yeah, this homicidal nurse uh, who's just doing drugs with the Fada family. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason that's Schwartz, the Fada. Yeah, in the in the, the drug closet. Um, she's obviously pretty cunning, um, able to kind of wiggle her way out of more serious trouble when she gets fired from her job. Um, she baked that pie, interested to see what happens with that. Um, she just seems like she's just sowing this insanity. And I, I want to know what her angle is and why she's doing it. Like it's very interesting. And that's the, always the impressive thing that Holly does. And that I think filmmakers like Gilligan and, uh, David Simon do really well is they always have these multiple things going on that you know are going to tie and weave together so well but you can also watch them individually and just be fascinated by those storylines so really interested to see how this all comes together um, also uh, just interested by this whole uh, swapping kids to sow trust idea yeah great joy in this bitch yeah it seems like a uh, I mean, a fairly obvious way to create quick conflict um, within these these two families as they're kind of moving forward, raise the stakes a bit. But um, I mean, I'm just interested to see where all that goes. So, and the kids being such a vital part of the double process. So, check check out Fargo. Uh, any last thoughts before we move on? Cool to see Schwartzman do something outside of Wes Anderson, <laughs> more serious role. You know, yeah. not the most common thing from him. So, I'm with it. I want to see the uh, Wes Anderson season of Fargo. Just want oh, to wow. see what it would be like. That'd be something. That would look amazing. <laughs> it would look amazing. I don't know how interesting it'd be, but look amazing. <laughs> uh, why don't we move on and wrap up with Anola Holmes? <laughs> um, yeah, Dave Anola Holmes dropped on Netflix. Top ten, number one. You don't say like anything <laughs> on Netflix. Um. Starring Millie Bobby Brown, probably what the second or third role she's had post Stranger Things. She's in Godzilla. It's her first lead role. First lead role. Yeah, and that's notable. That's, that's very notable, especially for someone who has the uh, the clout she has at such a yeah. young age. Such a breakout. Um, only only now, sixteen years old. You know, it's just the beginning for her. It's uh, directed by an inexperienced director in terms of film. Um, Harry Bradbeer, who has known, you know, done some work for Fleabag and Killing Eve, but getting his real first chance here to do the big screen. Um, and you got a couple of big name people alongside her. You got Henry Cavill playing Sherlock. You have mm-hmm. Helena Bonham Carter playing the mother. Um, you know, it's. Go ahead. I, I don't really know. <laughs> You know, I, it's interesting to get uh, Henry Bradbeer as the director because there's some fourth wall breaking in Nola Holmes. And of course, fourth wall breaking was the central framing device for Fleabag, right? So mm-hmm. in a sense, it's a, it's a good choice, I guess, right? Because at the end of the day, I think in Nola Holmes, by design, is a more juvenile film, probably designed for kids and fans of Millie Bobby Brown, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think it's pretty good for what it's trying to do yeah it's you know it's stories kind of whatever and it's not the most unpredictable thing i've ever seen but maybe probably bounds a 
really talented, charismatic person, and it's great to see her have more charisma than, say, Eleven does in Stranger Things. So, you know, that's kind of all it takes for me sometimes. No, I, I agree. And, you know, um, this this is based off a young adult book series by Nancy Springer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes sense that it's a little bit more juvenile, a little bit more for the young adult age range. But I think that this is a fairly interesting and uh, fun film, um, even though it is maybe for a younger audience. Um, I thought, like you said, Millie Bobby Brown was really engaging. I liked all the scenes with her and Helena Bonham Carter. Um, I didn't really like Lewis Partridge, who played Tewksbury. I thought he was a bit flat. and She's just kind of taking his lunch money when they're in scenes together she's she's a much more talented actor yeah she's just and so charismatic and he just is a bit uh bit dry in that area i'd say um but i thought all the action scenes were pretty fun you know and um, even beyond that i think some of the larger messaging you know right like there's the scenes with the the woman who taught her how to fight and she has that really pointed line with uh sherlock when She's like, you're, you're, you're comfortable, like not speaking up because you're in a system that works for you instead of against you. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, that's very pointed. makes a lot of sense. I think a great message to be kind of talking about here. Um, I do think this movie was a little long. Like I think it could have been yeah. chopped down a little bit, uh, maybe an hour, hour 50. I mean, it went to, I think like two Oh five two ten. I was like, mm-hmm. right, a little bit long. I, I didn't need the whole like 30 minute ending prologue where, she sees her mom and Sherlock decides to, you know, make her his child mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Um, his ward. His ward. Yes. But overall, I still thought it was pretty, pretty fun. Yeah. 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 Um, what'd you think of Henry Cavill as Sherlock Holmes, notably busting at the seams in his, his, his shirts. Cause he's so fucking jacked after Witcher and Superman and fallout right like kind of a stark visual for Holmes but I would have liked more personally of Cavill like he's barely in the movie honestly he only has a few scenes just talking scenes right and he's just kind of like propelling Enola forward for the most part in the movie but Mm -hmm. it's an it's an interesting portrayal of Sherlock there's lots of them of course but Mm -hmm. what'd you think Uh, I thought he was all right I mean um when I think about Sherlock Holmes, I think about Jack's dude who probably just like lifted beer kegs above his head, was doing squats, you know. Uh, I don't know. It, it was definitely nice to see Cavill doing something that wasn't just being like a meat muscle action person. Um, mm. But uh, I think it's hard to even really qualify because, like you said, other than a couple moments where he like figured things out and laid things out, and that's always one of the most the best parts about Sherlock Holmes I didn't really get a chance to really even see what he could do in the role yeah yeah I mean I we know Havel can do like debonair he did that in the man from uncle yep that's a lot of what reasons why people think he would be a good bond but like he's just not given enough to do to really show anything off in Noel Holmes um conversely uh my Minecraft the other brother is played by Sam Clayton and like that's such a one note like villain role and light villain i don't know just like he's obviously just the dipshit like misogynistic <laughs> yeah. and all of, like of the times and all that like he's he just he was just really one note frustrating i wish 
you know, if it, maybe if this movie wasn't for kids, you would have gotten more teased or shown about his relationship with Fiona Shaw's character, yeah. which definitely was a source of humor when it was mm-hmm. briefly touched on. I actually wish we got a little bit more of Fiona Shaw's character a bit here, right? Because she comes in obviously fairly wealthy. And, and again, it's kind of just like this character put in place to provide Enola with a car so she can get to the next part of her adventure um, in a lot of ways. And like a, like a small boss, if you will, in terms of her overall like video game type story. But right. Fiona Shaw is just so... Uh, I don't know. Like she plays cold so well and she was a little bit warmer in this role while still also being, you know, menacing and, and, uh, you know, obviously a antagonist. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I just feel like there was just so much more she could have done. Cause I, it felt like maybe she could have turned or like aided Enola in some way, but instead it's just, she's Minecraft's, you know, want to be a lover and kind of just like a, a dipshit as well. So it's, uh, a bit one note, I think, also for her when you have these talented people who can do so much more. Um, what did you think about Helena Bonham Carter? You know, usually we see her playing these dark, kind of like twisted roles in a lot of yeah. senses, and this is different. St- still eccentric. I, I would have liked sure. more. I actually thought it was pretty good. Um, yeah, she's actually in a good spot right now, I think, you know, with the, yeah. coming off the crown. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, could have used more. She's barely in it as well. Yeah, I'm wondering if there'll be more with her in the next one, um, or if she's it, always going to kind of be that. It's side. definitely left open to sequels. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, Millie actually is also a producer on this. She's invested in this franchise, it's a Noah Holmes series. So having a sequel like this would not be not surprise me at all. Um, mm-hmm. And there, I mean, there's what I think five or six of those Noah Holmes novels. So there's more material to adapt and work with. So. I, I think the sequel is honestly pretty uh, likely. Certainly. Yeah, and you you think Cavill and Carter perhaps could be option to come back, but who knows? I mean, what do you think about the fourth wall breaking? That's kind of an important uh, structure choice. You know, she's both talking to the audience at times as like a narrator, and there's also moments where she looks at the camera in the middle of like the action. Um, I thought one of those moments actually was pretty good when she winks when she's underwater. Underwater, yep. Around. Other moments, though, it, it, it just kind of felt like lazy script to me a little bit when she's narrating. But, I mean, it, it's more moments for Millie to just uh, talk and kind yeah. of cook. So I can't, can't complain too much because I just like listening to her speak. She's really, really, really compelling person. Yeah, the, the fourth wall breaking, I thought, was effective um you know a little overdone but if you do it right kind of like with fleabag or even in this it just adds so much to like the character you know you get a better sense of the character and if if anything else and i think kind of what anyone that's listening to this review is taking away is this movie is just a showcase from really bobby brown pretty much and if if all this is doing is letting her you know kind of build her star be more charismatic show she has this range or this ability to play this kid's kind of character especially because you know 11 is fairly muted in stranger things by the lack of understanding of the world in general and the fear that he's also along. barely in godzilla for what it's worth so uh this if nothing else this is a showcase for her and if that fourth wall breaking allows more time for her to cook so be it i'm fine with that um yeah i think overall 
I would consider this a, a success um, for Millie Bobby Brown for Netflix. I think it's it's definitely gotten a lot more love than a lot of Netflix drops have, at least from what I'm seeing on Twitter. A lot of people watching it, commenting on yeah. it. So it's an easy watch and it's fun. A little long, but fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, one last note, I would say that uh, Partridge, that actor, looks like the cross between Dean Charles Chapman and one of the Sprouse twins. I kept looking at him and I'm like, you just have an uncanny resemblance to some recent male celebrities. Um, unfortunately, the acting ability did not follow. Yeah, unfortunately. Better days ahead for uh, Lewis Partridge, hopefully. So, um, We'll wrap up there, Dave. What do we got for next week? So next week, we don't have a whole lot right now, but we do have a new album from YG, as well as most notably, debut album from Blackpink, K-pop supergroup. So Blackpink. Yes, in your area. They're coming in your area this Friday. Very exciting. I'm in your area. I'm in your area. That's them collabing with MGK. Let's hope. Um, All right, guys. We're going to wrap up there. Uh, Check us out at NostalgiaPod on Twitter, SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod, and YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod. Give us that five-star reading and review on iTunes. Also, make a plan to vote if you don't have one yet. Early voting has started some places. Um, know, know where you can go. Know how to do your mail-in ballots. But you got to vote, people. Do it. We'll see you next week. Yeah.